Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Today is the fifth Sunday of the Coptic month of Beba. And if you remember last week, I was sharing with you all how the month of Beba is going through a specific theme about how Christ is giving us victory over various things, victory over sin, victory over failure, victory over corruption, victory over finally death. When we read the gospel last week of uh, the man who was risen from the dead by our Lord Jesus Christ, the son of the widow of Nain. This Sunday is actually outside of those themes of the month because it's actually the fifth Sunday of the month. Whenever we have five Sundays in the Coptic month, we read the passage from the Gospel of the Five Loaves and Two Fish. And if you noticed, if you paid attention to the Psalms that were read, the Psalms that were read here in the liturgy, the Psalm that was read in the morning, and the Psalm that was read even in Vespers, they're all talking about the Temple of God. They're all talking about the Church. And actually our mother, the Church, is trying to send us a message this morning that we should have a sense of joy and happiness with the privilege of being able to have an extra Sunday this month to encounter God. That's why the church puts this reading of the five loaves and two fish. It's a, it's a miracle of plenty. And so what the church is trying to teach you is, is to, to be joyous and to thank God for the fact that you have an extra opportunity to worship God in His house on the day of the Lord than you usually do every month. There are a lot of psalms that sort of talk about the, the beauty and the joy and the happiness that comes with worshiping in God's house. In Psalm 84, David says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And one of the most famous psalms that we say as we approach the church, we say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So the, and the principle and the practice of God's people gathering together in the presence of the Lord in his house dedicated to him for the purpose of community worship is clearly taught in the Bible both by command and by example. The spiritual life of Israel, the people of Israel, was focused on the tabernacle and on the temple of the Lord. That's where they met God. That's where his presence and his power became a reality. And the sacrifices and symbols of the service were designed to emphasize the power and the presence of God. All of this, of course, pointed to the day of the real sacrifice, which would be made by our Lord Jesus Christ and His rising again and His promise to meet His people until He comes again for them. So it's a privilege and a priority to gather, for us to gather together in worship. And it's actually beautifully said when in the psalm when it says, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. Think about the events immediately following the resurrection. Confirms the priority that the people in the New Testament had to gathering together in corporate praise and worship. The book of Acts, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did not eat their bread with gladness and did eat their bread with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who should be saved. So it's clear that our Savior is expecting us to gather with Him each week. We know that this principle and this practice of praise and worship is paramount. But it might be good for us to explore a little bit more of the why. Why do we gather together in church? We gather together to experience His presence and to unite with Him. Do we really believe His promise that He will be in the midst of us? That we can come into His presence with thanksgiving, worshiping Him in spirit and truth, expecting our Savior to be 
present in everything that we say and do. If we consider the sometimes lackadaisical approach that many of us often take to worship, especially in contemporary times, we wonder if when we really come to the church, do we really see ourselves as being in the presence of the awesome and mighty God and King of Kings? We don't have to speculate, for example, on God's preferred plan of conduct in the body of Christ within the church. St. Paul tells us in his letters to the Corinthians, he makes it crystal clear. He says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let all things be done decently and in order. So the context of these sort of like simple admonitions, when I apply it to the church, when applying it to gathering, leads us to understand how to conduct ourselves in the house of God. None of this, of course, should inhibit or prohibit the desire of God's people to gather together with joyful expectation and anticipation of experiencing the presence of the living Christ. We're coming together truly expecting to meet God and His Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. We shouldn't come together expecting merely just to meet each other. We should have attitude, if you remember, when the, the people, there were some Greek people who wanted to see our Lord Jesus Christ, and they went to Philip and they said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. That's the attitude that I should come in to the church. I gather also in the church to experience change. During the week, outside in the world, my heart is hardened and my conscience can be seared with the sin of society and the sacrilege of society. And the power of God is needed to break our hearts because of the sin around us. And it's only when we experience His power that we can truly go forth from His presence, that we can have our souls be transformed and changed, and that the heavens can rejoice at the salvation of a repentant sinner. Do you remember when our Lord Jesus Christ was walking across the water and His disciples were sort of hiding in the boat because there was winds and they were scared? When God, the master of the winds and the master of the waves, came powerfully in front of them, what did they think? What did they say? It says that they were frightened and that they were amazed. Are we as amazed and in awe of the powerful presence of the Savior as the disciples were? Our coming together in church is in vain unless we come expecting to experience the power of God. We should also gather together in the church to praise Him for the purpose of praise. Our daily life should be a hymn of praise that ends or culminates in our coming together to praise and worship Him on Sunday. St. Paul says in Hebrews, I will declare your name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto you. If we have not praised and glorified God with our lives during the week, then it's understandable if we find it less than a joy and maybe difficult in doing so when I gather together on Sundays. It shouldn't be surprising that those of us who maybe compartmentalize our lives into secular and spiritual find it difficult, find it boring to meet with God's people for true praise and worship on the day of the Lord. That might partially explain why many of us who profess to be Orthodox forsake the assembly of ourselves together on a regular basis. Or maybe people find it a chore or something to endure rather than a joy. I was glad when they said to me, let us go in the house of the Lord. 
Our Lord Jesus Christ said that we should let our lights so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This analogy is pretty easily understood. We're supposed to go out into the world and let our small light shine into the dark corner of my own small world and I'm supposed to reflect His love around me. And I'm supposed to live to praise, to His praise and to His honor and to His glory. And then... We're supposed to bring that same tiny light to his appointed place of praise and worship in the church and place it sort of on the collective candle stand of the church so that it can be amplified for the entire world to see. If we fail to reflect his light with our daily life, how brightly will it shine in our worship and praise when we assemble with his people? If we are doing it all together, separately in our worlds and then we're coming together the light of the church should shine brightly for everyone to see we gather also in the church to hear the word of god it's a vital tool in preparing god's people for the race that they have to run their spiritual battle the fight that they have to fight within the world so we come together here in the church to recharge our spiritual batteries i should question my priorities if i'm easily able to spend three hours watching football or five hours on Netflix or a few hours on social media, but I begin to feel bored or offended if a sermon lasts longer than 20 minutes. We come together to be changed and that change takes time. We gather together also to experience God's people. This is what St. Paul says in Hebrews. He says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. Sometimes we have a wrong impression about what it means to gather in the church. Sometimes we feel that we come to church to proudly display our self-righteousness and demonstrate our self-sufficiency. The opposite of this is true. We should go to church as a confession of our frailties, as a confession of our weaknesses, as a confession of our faults. Our very attendance at the house of God is an open admission of our need for God and our need for His people. So instead of being a, re a religious display case for people who have sort of spiritually arrived, the church is a sanctuary for sinners, a spiritual hospital designed for the healing of those who are hurting, who need the help and the encouragement that can only be found in the fellowship of God and among His people. So we should come together to positively exhort and encourage one another in the work of the Lord. We have enough discouragement in the world around us. We should comfort and edify one another. St. Paul says in Thessalonians, Therefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another even as you also do. He also says in Colossians, let your speech always be seasoned with salt, that you may know how to, an to answer every man. Wounds can be made by hurtful words, and those scars can last for a lifetime. So yes, we should gather together with God's people to encourage and to edify one another. But what we usually find is that it's often easier for us to criticize and condemn each other. We should always remember that Criticism is a poor substitute for positive action. Criticism sometimes is the first line of defense 
for those of us who know we're not living up to our own responsibilities. The very simplest way of sort of dimming the spotlight of conviction in my own heart, on myself, is to lay down a smokescreen of criticism on somebody else. God's people in the local church should be building each other up, should not participate in or tolerate criticism as a way of life in the body of Christ. They should build up rather than tear down, lovingly work to help each other correct defects and faults. It's something very important to remember in this church. We should always remember that our enemy is not in here. Our enemy is outside. We are doing battle with the God of this world and His armies. So today the church reminds us, be joyful. Be happy that we've been given extra opportunities to be in church, to gather faithfully, to experience the presence of God. So may God give us a zeal for His house, as, God was, as Christ Himself was zealous for God's house, eagerly attending liturgy, attending vespers, attending other services, which the church gives us the opportunity in which to encounter God. The last thing I want to mention today, we are celebrating the feast of St. Mark the Apostle. And so we are going to pray a portion of uh, the liturgy of St. Cyril. The liturgy of St. Cyril, those of you, most of you may know, was written originally by St. Mark. It was the original liturgy that we prayed. Uh, it was the first liturgy sort of that was written down uh, in the Coptic Rite. And it was written by St. Mark. And it was uh, edited by St. Cyril. That's why it's, the name of, it's on the name of St. Cyril. We'll pray a portion of the liturgy uh, in celebration of the Feast of St. Mark. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are they.